Before we get started looking at the book of Ephesians, continuing with our uh, leadership series, uh, I want to say personally, uh, welcome back, Charles Lee. Good to see you, man. Absolutely. It's been a long year, hasn't it, brother? Absolutely. Well, we love you, man, and it's so good to have you back. Um, one of the things that's so important to us here at King's Church is we are family on mission together. And we miss it when even one member of our family can't be with us for an extended period of time. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so what we're doing this morning is we're continuing this series that I've called God's Delegated Authority. At this season of the life of our church plant, uh, we are in the time of choosing leaders, right? And so we've taken a time to think about what does the Bible say about church leadership. And my goal for you today is to see how God is glorified and how beautiful God is as we look specifically at what He bled for, namely the church, and how His body, which is the illustration of what the church is, is He's the head, the body, we'll see that today in the book of Ephesians, how He cares for His body through leadership, what the mission of His body is and how the leadership plays into that. Y'all, there's a lot of information in the Bible about what the church is, how she should be governed. And so we're going to take some time, especially during this process of us choosing our leaders right now, uh, to look at that specific issue. And today we're going to talk about the office or the leadership position of a pastor. So what we've done the past several weeks, uh, except last month we nominated elders and deacons. And then I contacted those who have been nominated uh, and then we're going to move through the training process, and then we'll have an election. We talk about that every week just to let you know where we are in that process right now. And we've talked about what an elder is. We've talked about what a deacon is. And now we're going to talk about, uh, this morning, what a pastor is. And there is one of the things that I just want to say is, aren't y'all ready for leadership that you can trust? Amen? I mean, this is really difficult right now. We're ready for leadership that you can trust and and everybody doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on everybody's frustrated with governmental leadership and other kind of leadership in the world and to be honest there are a lot of you maybe who even have a story of how you've been frustrated in the past by church leadership right what we are looking for at king's church what we are praying for at king's church is that god would lead and he would lead through the leaders that he that that the scriptures call for him to have. So, the church leadership should be the most trustworthy institution in the world. And let's pray that we're a picture of that here at King's Church. So the weather's warming up outside, and we're finally getting a chance to go back outside and cook out, grill out, right? Well, here, it's funny, we were at a baseball game the other day, and one of our new friends is from Chicago, and recently, oh, actually not recently, but moved down here, but he was telling me whenever he lived in the frozen tundra of Chicago that one of the things that they had to buy was these little hot dog uh, cookers, y'all seen these in gas stations, like little rollers, and they roll down. He was telling me all about it, and I was like, just a quick question, why'd you have to do that? And he said, well, we can't go outside half the year. And I said, welcome to the South, brother. You can cook, you can cook hot dogs in December if you want to down here, right? Uh, but I want you to think about, from it, thinking about that, I want you to paint the picture of your mind, the perfect hamburger, all right? Who, who loves a good hamburger? Raise your hand, raise your hand. If you don't, you're out of membership. Get out of here, okay? You just can't you're not allowed to be a member of King's Church, right? But think about your perfect hamburger, okay? If, if you put mayonnaise on it, there's something wrong with you. We can debate this later, but we'll, we'll get there, okay? But listen, think about, I'm, I'm thinking about my perfect hamburger. I'm thinking about this thick, 
uh, this thick patty. If you cook your hamburger well done, again, I'm not sure you can be a member of King's Church, but it, think about this thick patty, some cheese dripping off of it. One of the dangers of what I'm doing right now is y'all not going to listen to a word I say for the rest of the time. You've been thinking about another hamburger, but I want you to think about it in your mind. It's sitting on the plate. You haven't eaten all day. It just, the, the bun is, is thick. Everything, you're ready to take a bite into that hamburger. And then I put it in front of you and I said, then this looks good. And you're like, yeah, it looks good. And then I say, now you can only have one bite. What are you going to do? You're probably going to slap me, right? Because you're starving. And here's one of your favorite things to eat. And I say, you can just have one bite. The other thing that would really frustrate me is if someone said, like, here's a Reese's cup and you can only have one bite, right? I, I wouldn't even want a bite. That would be frustrating. To, to have something so wonderful and only get to have a little bit. So here's a question I have for you. How much of Jesus do you want? How much? Just enough to get into heaven? Bare minimum? How much of Jesus do you want? In the middle of this passage that we're about to read to you, it says that it's possible for us, it's possible for you, to have the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. How much do you want? There's two reasons why you don't want the fullness of Christ. Okay? I, I think there's basically two. Number one is you're just not hungry because you filled up elsewhere. You filled up on things that are not nearly as satisfying. They won't give you near the health benefits. They don't taste nearly as good, but you're full because you spent your time eating that. You used up all your calories. Or you've never really tasted him before. So here's what I'm doing today. We're talking about church leadership, and one of my goals every time we get together is that if you've never really tasted Jesus in a saving way, if you've never really embraced him through faith, that today would be the day, and this would be your story. And you would be able to, for the first time, to embrace it. But the question that I'm going to ask you, that I want us to think about, based on the passage of Scripture that I'm about to read to you, is how do you get the fullness of Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse this morning. Uh, we'll look at that 2 Timothy passage in, in just a little while, but we're just going to focus right now on the Ephesians 4 passage. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is God's Word. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and, not in, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Each as each part does its work. The grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider specifically what the role of a pastor is, but also more powerfully, how you love us and how we can get the fullness of Jesus Christ, we would ask God for your help. I would ask for your help. Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's a big idea. It might sound weird, strange to your mind. It's just the truth. Don't argue with me. Just look at the Bible. Okay? You cannot have the fullness of Jesus Christ outside of the church. You cannot have the fullness of Jesus Christ outside of the church. Part two, Jesus gave pastors to the church to make his body healthy and useful. Jesus gave pastors to the church to make his body healthy and useful. Okay? All of the leadership structure, we talked about deacons, we talked about elders, the goal is to make the body of Christ healthy and useful, right? But specifically, in this passage, you see a list of different types of leaders that we'll get to in a minute, of which is pastors and teachers, and the goal is to make, again, the church, the body of Christ, healthy and useful. The fullness of Jesus Christ. You can have, you don't, the, being a part of a church is not required for salvation. It's not what I'm saying. If you heard me say that, that's not what I'm saying. You come to Jesus Christ through faith and faith alone. The grace is given to you through a message of the gospel that the king has come. And he can be your king and you can have eternal life forever. But if you want the whole thing, and if you've truly tasted him, you do. You have to have the church. You have to have the people that he spilt his blood for. Okay? And the job, my job, the pastor's job, is to make the church of Jesus Christ, serving under him, healthy and useful. Three points, okay? Three points this morning. The goal of unity in the church, how pastors are gifts from Jesus to achieve that goal, and then what unity looks like. The goal of unity in the church, how pastors are gifts from Jesus to achieve that goal, and then what unity looks like. All right, first point, the goal of unity in the church. Verses 4 and 5, I'll read them again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You get the point, right? I think it's seven times. One, 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 one. Right? The, the theme of, of many of, of the letters, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, the Ephesians, wrote to the Ephesians in this letter, is the unity of the church. Okay? Unity of the people. And this is the goal. Okay? You cannot have the fullness of Jesus outside of the church. And what does he want for his church? He wants the fullness and the unity inside of the church. Now, how does being a part of the church bring about the fullness of Jesus Christ? 
Because that's where we're going, right? That's where I started. It's a question we're thinking about. How does that happen? God has created us to personally know Him. You as an individual. Me as an individual. Okay? He, to personally know Him, personally love Him, personally serve Him. Like, like Josh mentioned just a minute ago, the goal of our lives is to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Personally. Right? He even says in verse 7 in this passage that each one of us has been given grace to serve the Lord. But God has also created us to know each other and serve each other. You cannot be a healthy, thriving person without other people. Part of your individual flourishing is our flourishing together. Right? That's why loneliness is such a big deal. God has created us to live together and to love together. And secondly, you cannot obey God without being involved in other people. How's the whole law summarized, like Josh just said? Love God and love people. Right? So the unity of the church is how we can do everything that God wants us to do. Okay? how we can work together and how we can do that. That human flourishing is to know, love, and serve both God and each other. That, so you cannot have the fullness of Christ without the church. Okay, that's where we're going. Now, specifically looking at this passage, as we're looking at this, what we just read, that's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, what we're happening is that unity is what happens when people share common passions when they share common goals, and when they share common uh, beliefs. Uh, last night we had some new friends over for dinner, and, and one, of the, one of them uh, was a police officer. And so we were talking about how difficult it is right now to be a police officer. And we, there were several stories that we were able to, to swap. And, and listen, these, these folks need our prayers. It is a difficult time to, to be a police officer in America for a lot of different reasons that we can talk about maybe another day. Okay? But one of the things that struck me as he was talking was the brotherhood of the police force. How these guys go out with each other every day and they know that there's a chance that one of the other might not be coming home. And there is this deep brotherhood that share, and a lot of times, although not every time, you see in, 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 in service like firefighters or, or policemen or whatever, this unified, they come from all different backgrounds, they come from different parts of the world, they come from different, different ethnicities, but when they're on the job, they're one. And that's a beautiful picture. And that's, the, that's the, the essence of what this call to unity is here, is not uniformity, not that everyone's the same, I'll get that in a minute, but that they have a common passion Common beliefs, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. There is one way to God. There is one people of God. There is one hope for you, and there is one way that you should live. I know that a lot of times we want to live in a both and universe, you know, that you can believe this and that and it still be okay, that you can want to love God, but still want to do whatever you want to do at the same time, and hopefully that's okay, but the reality is um, we live in an either-or universe. And there is only one way to God. And the popular sentiment today, and maybe it's something that you're struggling with today. I've struggled with it in the past as well. It's a struggle for us to believe that there's only one way to God. That's actually one of the most offensive claims in Christianity. 
And what we want to say is that all of everybody should be able to get along and all the religions should make sense and they should all uh, go to the same place. But that just can't be true. Because they all say different things. The common faith here that leads to unity of the church is one faith in the one person of Jesus Christ. Right? And even though the church may have different expressions throughout the city of Columbia, there is one church in Columbia, South Carolina. There is one church in the entire world. It may look different and have different expressions, but there's one church. Jenny and I got to go to a, a pastor's retreat uh, this week at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in North Carolina, and spent a couple days uh, there. And, and one of my favorite times, uh, and it was funny because um, apparently I signed up for the Pentecostal retreat right? It was awesome, right? The Presbyterian and the Pentecostals, right? And if you're in the church world, you know that those, the never should the twain meet, you know what I mean? Uh, kind of thing. But it was, it was so much fun. I had a lot of times, it was a time whenever uh, the speaker called us up uh, to the front, the pastors there, because we're all sick of COVID anyway, we don't care. And so they, we all came up to the front and prayed for each other's churches, right? Different stripes, different ethnicities, right? All these things that we're sitting there at the front praying for each other's services all out loud at the same time, which gave me the jitters. But anyway, that's a Pentecostal thing, you know what I mean? But it was a beautiful picture. It really was. It was a beautiful picture of the unity of the church. And you know what made it beautiful? Diversity. That's what made it beautiful. You know, we looked out, we looked out the window because uh, you're overlooking this beautiful landscape. And I looked over at Jenny and I said, what makes, that, what makes outside beautiful right now? Right? And she hates when I ask these questions because right? I'm trying to lead her in a way. But she got it right first try. That a girl. And she said, um, she said the fact that there's about 16 different trees together and they're all blooming at the same time. That's what makes it beautiful. Right? If it was just all one tree, it'd be all right. But it's amazing when they're all together in one landscape. Right? We walked to the top of the mountain which is, it was brutal. I mean, it was like walking straight up uh, to get to this outlook point. And it, what made, looking over all these mountains, what made it beautiful was the differences in terrain. Different heights, different trees, uh, di all different things. The sky was a different color in different spots. The, the, the diversity actually made it beautiful. You see, uniformity is not unity. Uniformity is not unity. Right? If you think about what uniformity is, it's a blank sheet of paper. It's all the same. Can't tell the difference. That's not unity. Unity is differences coming together. That's what unity means. It means the different things coming together to serve in harmony. All right? Now, that is, that's the goal here. Now, an illustration of that would be a football team. All different shapes and sizes and gifts. Offensive linemen can't catch a football if you stuck it to their hands. You see what I'm saying? But, they, but listen... That's the guy you want protecting you when someone's coming to get you. You see what I'm saying? There, there, there's these diversity of gifts working together. Diversity is beautiful and diversity is productive. Okay? When it's unified. So unity is the goal. One purpose, one faith, one hope, one people. Diversity is both, the unity is both beautiful and productive in the same time when it's unified. But here's the question. How easy is the goal of unity to achieve? It's impossible. We're seeing that work out in almost every sector of our society at the moment, right? So what tools, what gifts, another way to say it, has God given to the church to achieve this goal? Point number two. 
how pastors are gifts from Jesus to achieve this goal. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Self-explanatory, right? Nope. Right. That's look. I know that's really. I know that's a strange passage. Here's. Let me summarize it. He's quoting Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, there's here's the picture that he's playing on. Psalm 68. A king goes out uh, and conquers a neighboring village or whatever. So the king goes out and and conquers and he brings back the spoils of war to his people. So the king goes out, conquers, right? Comes back. And the spoils of the war are for his people. Whatever they get, livestock or gold or whatever it is that they, that they bring back. That's the image that he's quoting. And then he's applying it to Jesus Christ who descended, who left the, earthly region, left the heavenly regions and came to earth. Was born, lived a perfect life, suffered and then died and was crucified, uh, rose again from the dead. That's the, that's the descending that he's talking about. And what we celebrated about a month ago now on Easter is whenever he rose again from the, uh, the grave and ascended and took his place on the throne of the universe. That is the gospel message. Now, that is the creation of the church. He descended, came down, incarnation, and then accomplished everything he wanted to do, the crucifixion, made us right with God, once for all sacrifice or atonement, and then ascended. Okay? And just like a king who comes, who wins the war and gives, and gives gifts to his people, as Jesus won the war over death, as Jesus won the war over your sin and mine, he gives gifts to his people. What's the goal? Unity. How does he achieve it? He gives the gifts. So what are the gifts? Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What's the gift? The gifts are these offices of authority to lead, shape, and guide and lead to flourishing the people of God. Apostles, right? Prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers okay so let's talk about uh, these categories first of all the apostles right these were jesus's disciples and paul who wrote this letter okay these were men who saw the resurrected jesus christ uh, the disciples except for paul they spent years with christ saw his miracles heard his teachings okay these and then the prophets the old testament and the new testament john the baptist those who called people back from their sin to, to following God, and also those people who at times God gave what was going to happen in the future, and they were able to show the, the people of God this was going to happen. The, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, we read this. Consequently, talking about the church, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Okay? This is what the church now is. Y'all are all together. This is then what it says in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So the apostles, disciples plus Paul, 
prophets, Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, got it? Were the foundation. But guess what happened to those guys? They died. Right? They died. They were the foundation, says Ephesians chapter 2.20, but they died. And that office no longer exists. Now, we have guys that, that maybe have prophetic gifting and that they seem to uh, be, they, God seems to wire them really to help people with calling them back from their sin. And we have guys and, 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 and girls who may have apostolic gifting and that they like to send out. They're like, come on, guys, let's go. Let's get, let's get this job done. But capital A apostles, capital P prophets, the foundation's been laid, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Right? Not my opinion, but according to what it said. Right? And those, office, and those offices no longer exist. So praise God for that gift. They set a rock-solid foundation gave us the word of God, the prophets did and the apostles did, led us to God himself through Jesus Christ. So then what about the rest of the gifts? Right? We read about evangelists, those who are gifted in preaching the gospel and leading people to Christ, and then pastors and teachers, which are really one, one office. And the word, uh, the word we get the word pastor is just the Latin form of, of shepherd. Right? It's just the Latin form of the word shepherd. So that's, that's where that word comes from. So when you think pastor, you think shepherd. When you think elder, you should think shepherd. All right, but look, the, my point here is that these are the gifts that the, that the King Jesus has given to his church with the goal of unity. Now, what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? Verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. One of the reasons why I asked Josh to read from Exodus chapter 19 is there's this beautiful phrase in there called the kingdom of priests. That God's people were supposed to be the kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? A priest leads people, makes a sacrifice, and brings people to God. And what Moses is saying to them is, is uh, there's going to be a whole kingdom of people, even the Old Testament. And the goal is to bring the world to God. Did you know that's a great illustration of what the church is? Martin Luther, a great reformer, called it the priesthood of all believers. Same thing, playing on that phrase. Okay? Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. Do you know the main ministers in the church of Jesus Christ are not me or Josh? It's you. You are the ones who are supposed to be the ones out doing the works. Not to say that I won't, that I'm not doing the work, we'll get to that in a minute. But the works of service is for the saints, for those who have been sanctified by God. It says the work, for God's people, the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. The kingdom of priests is you guys, if you're in Christ Jesus. So what's our job as pastors? To prepare God's people. The Greek word here, prepare, means to prepare or equip. I love the way the King James uh, translates this word, uh, to perfect. Okay? Our job as pastors is to equip, to train, or to perfect, if you will, God's people so that you're ready to go. So if you're preparing for a battle, let's say you're a soldier in the platoon, what would you need to know? A lot of stuff. You would need to be in physical shape. 
to accomplish your test. You would need to know what your specific division does. Like in the whole scheme of things, where do you fit in? Right? How does that work? You'd need to know how to fire your weapon if that's what you did. You would need on-the-ground training. You would need someone to show you all of these things. You'd need to know about your enemy. You'd need to know about where you're going, how you're going to get there, what to do in an emergency. You might need to know how to, turn a, to wrap up a tourniquet. There are so many things that you would need to know to be fully equipped to go to war. Same thing's true for parents. What does your child need to be equipped to live the life? A lot. Socially equipped. Uh, spiritually equipped, mentally equipped. There's so many things that, that you need, and our job as parents is to do the best job we can to equip the saints, or to equip our children, rather. So how does a pastor equip the saints? The first thing that we're called to do by Scripture is to provide an example to follow. Paul says over and over and over again, listen, listen, guys, I know we're fussing right now, but don't you remember how I lived? Don't you remember that? Listen, remember how I lived among you? Like, a lot of times pastors complain about having to live in a glass house, if you will. But there is no other way to lead but by personal example. One of my mentors, Jeff Shipman, he says this all the time, and I loved it. He says, um, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. The first calling of a pastor is to personally love the Lord and follow the Lord. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist right? Uh, you're personally to leave and to love. And the second thing is to teach God's Word. Jesus says that man shouldn't live just simply by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, be careful to do all the words of the law, for this is no empty word for you. It is your very life. That's why I stand here and I spend time every week. And when Josh preaches, he spends time every week. And when Foster preaches, he spends time every week studying the Word of God because you need it more than you need food. And it's our job not to feed you your whole week. Our job is to equip you so you can feed yourself. And then also to be able to feed you here, right? If you're living just on this, you're going to starve, right? You know, talk about intermittent fasting. That's some serious intermittent fasting. You know, you just eat once a week. You can't just eat once a week. You know, in the Old Testament, when they received manna, they said, you, you got to pick it up every day. And if you try to save some for tomorrow, guess what happens when you wake up? It's full of maggots. It's a beautiful illustration of what happens to our souls every single day. You need fresh bread every single day. And one of our responsibilities as a pastor is to feed on Sunday with the Word of God, but to teach you how to feed yourself every day. Okay? That's one, that's one of our jobs, right? That's why the situation in Acts chapter 6 arose. That's what we talked about last week. That's why the office of deacon is a reality. Because the, the situation of the church became so complicated that there needed to be a division of labor so that some men could devote their time to teaching the Word of God into prayer. Okay? Individual training and equipping. Uh, the job of a pastor, when you think of a pastor, don't just simply think of a preacher. I'm begging you. Don't just simply think of a preacher. Think about a trainer. We are here to equip you to do the works of ministry. That's our job. It's not to be the ministry. It's to equip you to do the ministry. And we, work, and we do the ministry alongside of you. It's not like we don't do it. We do the ministry alongside of you. All right. And also to heal the wounds, and that's where counseling comes in. Teaching, equipping, counseling, training. The pastor as trainer. Now, what's the goal of these gifts? Okay, what's the goal of these gifts? Verse 13. 
until we all reach the unity in the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's so much there that I just don't have time to unpack all of it. But here's what I want you to picture. When a church is working properly, when a pastor is equipping people, when people are doing the work of service and they're not relying on the pastor, they're relying on Jesus, the pastor's just simply the trainer. Got it? You become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that what you want? Is it? I mean, that's not a rhetorical question. Is it really? Then you need to be trained, right? And that's why God sets apart us to do that. It's not part-time work. It's, it's important. It's the reason in 1 Timothy he writes, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those laboring and preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grades. The, ra- the laborer deserves his wages. That's why my position is a paid position. It's because my job is to equip the saints for the works of ministry, not to be the ministry. To equip the saints for the works of ministry. And then finally, what does unity look like? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. What, this, what unity looks like is that the people of God are well-taught and well-trained. So when someone comes in to teach painful, harming doctrine, the people in the church go, nope, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because they've been well-trained. Does that make sense? Okay? And so we're not run, we don't, we don't toss back and forth like waves. We're able to stand on the Word of God because we've been trained and we've been fed. Okay? The people of God use their mouth to speak the truth in love. Next thing it says, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, James talks about the power of the tongue. He says it's like a big freight ship. This humongous ship is controlled by this tiny little rudder. Tongue is important. It's how we love each other primarily, right? It's how we love each other and serve each other. It's also how the kingdom of God spreads. Hear me. The kingdom of God spreads as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to do the heavy lifting. We just got to get the message out there. The gospel does the heavy lifting. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Our job is to get it out. Pastors are doing our job, their job, and you're trained to get it out. So what does it look like? Finally, this beautiful picture. From him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Here's the picture of unity. A fully functioning body. You know, when you walk by the corner of a stairwell and you stub your toe, it really hurts. It's also really hilarious when you watch someone else do it, right? But it, even whenever you have joint pain, like you got a knees... You, just, you can't function well. You can't run. You can't. The picture of the body of Christ, the goal of a pastor, the goal being unity of the church is that we are able to move not at the pastor's direction. doesn't say the pastor's ahead of the church, does it? We're in a supporting role. Who's ahead of the church? Jesus Christ. 
That's the picture of what a church looks like when it's flourishing. Is the head says move and the body responds. It's frustrating. I'm getting older, right? It's frustrating when you want the body to do something and it don't do it no more. But the picture of a church is Jesus says move and it moves. And when a body is moving in proper order, there's an amazing what we can get done. When, the, when, something, when a body takes care of itself and there's a cut on the arm and the other hand takes it and heals that wound like a church should do if one of the members is hurt, it's a beautiful picture. Taking care of itself, binding up its wound, walking together, and then fulfilling its mission. The church of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be unstoppable and people who are in desperate need of the love of God who are around us every single day, maybe you're in the room right now, will be reached because of the unity of the church, which pictured right here. Who, who made it possible? Jesus Christ. Who assists? What are the gifts that God has given to the church to help with that? Pastors and teachers, evangelists. You cannot have the fullness of Jesus Christ outside of the church. You just can't. You can try, but you can't have it. And Jesus gave pastors to the church to make his body healthy and useful. There's a verse in Ephesians that blows my mind every time I read it. It goes like this, chapter 3, verse 10. It says that through, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, that angels in heaven look at the church and they're blown away at the wisdom and power of God. And when we're unified together and well-trained, that's a picture of what it is. This is why Jesus came and died and rose again. This is the goal. This is why pastors are here. This is the power of Jesus. Are you in the church? Are you? Fix that. Do you know the great head of the church? As in conclusion this morning, let me just simply ask, do you want the fullness of Jesus Christ? We'll get to the church stuff later, but do you have him right now? Do you know the fullness of Jesus Christ? Today's the day. What we have uh, in front of us this morning is the Lord's Supper. And it's a beautiful picture of everything that Christ has accomplished. And what I love about the way we take the Lord's Supper, and I'll explain that in just a minute, it's a picture of Jesus' sacrifice, but it's also a picture of the church as a whole. That we don't take this meal individually in our own homes. We take it here, together, as a symbol of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and also a symbol of the church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we close your word right now and we ask God that you would unify us together. And I always ask, Father in heaven, that, that whoever is a pastor of this church and other churches in this city, that we would serve under Jesus our King and that you would help us because we don't have the power to do it and we're not able that you would help us to serve you and equip the saints so that we can all experience the fullness of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.